welcome to Let's Talk Dog Business. On today's episode, we are gonna be talking about what the client really thinks of you. What we were discussing earlier, we were saying about how you can create a business and everybody, again, kind of focusing on the, the training behavior side of it initially, everybody typically goes into being a generalist. So you're quite easy going in going, yep, I'm going to do puppies, adolescents, adults, the whole shebang. Cover every single yeah. possible element of it. Yeah. Why? Because the fear of missing out. Yeah. Because we feel like we need to carry those people through and they'll stay with us. So this is kind of comes back to our client loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. And longer term. Yeah, so you definitely had that fear of like not seeing them through, didn't you? And yeah. In my mind, I thought that having a course that that started, finished, there's potentially a gap in the middle of it, and then another one that that followed on from that with a start and an end and a gap in the middle and something else and something else. So I did puppy, um, beginners anything five months so a puppy up to five months basically beginners five months upwards i did a follow-on from the puppy course so you had to have done that before you did the follow-on i did hoopers i did some specific <laughs> i did agility like foundation agility i did some specific like recall loose lead walking workshops because for people that hadn't got enough from those courses, I could then offer them just a standalone. So it was usually like a two hour to three hour workshop, or it could be a three week mini course instead yeah. um, to work on those things. So I, I offered all of these different things, but it never occurred to me to just offer all of that in one. Yeah, I mean, even you saying it now, and I know we've had this conversation before, I'm, I'm a little bit dumbfounded. It's like, what? You've got what? that look of, like, glazed over eyes. Like, what? It just, it just doesn't, again, it just does not make sense to me. So, I mean, it does in one way, because, again, we, we've all kind of been there, haven't we, where you're like, right, I need to get some money in. Everything always comes back down to this drive for money because that's what we need to all live and survive. But you imagine it, right? Put yourself in the client's shoes now. And you're logging onto someone's website or wherever you find the, the details. And you've got, right, so run me through again. What did you have? A puppy, puppy up to five a, months. Puppy up to five, and was that a class? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so we had a puppy class. Yep. Then um, also a beginner's class that was five months and over, no up, up, upper limit. Right. Then um, a follow-on. Good Lord. From yeah. the puppy stuff. So you had to have done the puppy to then go on to the follow-on. So did you have to do puppy and beginner? No, no, beginner was for those who hadn't done puppy. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Making this more and more complicated <laughs> as we go along. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm lost. Puppy, beginner, follow-on. Hoopers. Right, yeah. Uh, foundation agility. Foundation, right, yeah. Recall workshops. Recall workshops. Um, loose lead masterclasses. Yeah. Uh, oh, then I used to do like, just remembered, then I used to do like fun trick workshops right. like festive one at Christmas and then a non-festive one I have also done dog yoga in the past dog yoga yeah it's more like warm-up and cool-down exercises and right. kind of strengthening and that kind of stuff okay. um, I'm sure there's something I've missed that I also have done over the years but yeah a bit of a 
mishmash. Did you do one-to-ones as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, talk me through it. So I'm a client now. Yeah. I've gone on your website. Yeah. And I've seen all of that. And I've got a six-month-old dog. Yeah. That I, I just haven't done anything with and I want to do something with them. Mm-hmm. What am I doing? The beginners, the, the fun, fun obedience the is what I used to call it, yeah. Okay. Well, what if I wanted to do the hoopers? Uh, no, you could do that as well. Right. But... <laughs> <laughs> I love it when you do this to me. <laughs> I love it because I feel like it sounds ridiculous. It is ridiculous. <laughs> and your face says it all. <laughs> For those who were just listening, her face is saying it all. Um, yeah, they could do it. It helps if they've done a little bit of training beforehand, but it wasn't a prerequisite. So I could probably spend a bit of time with them aside, okay. kind of doing a little bit of just general focusy stuff. Okay. And how often were you running these classes? Oh, like weekly. Weekly. So if I had my, what was it, up to five months? Yeah. So what if they were just five months? That's fine. The upper limit was five, like 20 weeks. So if I was 21 weeks? Mm, depends on the breed. Oh, if it was a... What? <laughs> I don't know. If it was a small breed, like, um, let's say it was a Jack Russell or, a, I don't know, Lassarapso or something, it would be... I'd probably let it in. And if it was anything like a German Shepherd, a Golden Retriever, Labrador, no. Cause it, because... <laughs> it sounds ridiculous again, but from an, a, an other owner perspective, they're seeing this great big puppy because by the time... a you know, say a Labrador is five months old, it looks like it's getting towards that, you know, I'm exhausted looking like an older dog. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely exhausted. <laughs> like a giant puppy. Wow. I mean... I'm so uh, there was always my, is it my discretion of what I would allow in, but generally speaking, the guidelines were that. And how long did you do this for? Well... 14, 13, 14 years. No, actually, I started with the puppy stuff for two years and then I brought the rest in, so probably 12 years for all of it. 12 years of headache. Wow. I I I don't understand it. But but actually, I do understand it because, again, I think... So for me, I, I kind of came into dog training off the back of corporate, so I... I decided one day that actually I really enjoyed working with my little husky puppy and I wanted to do everything right so I did you know your bog standard kennel club six to eight week puppy class oh I offered that as well oh my good god (laughs) it gets worse um (laughs) Jesus (laughs) so I I did that that kennel club what was it the good Good sense yeah that um and then I went and I wanted a a private trainer so I went down a route of getting a a private trainer in and I I literally did everything that they were saying and it just never felt right to me I was told to bark at them yeah um it just it just never felt right so I then embarked on on my journey in figuring out how to do this in what I felt was a, a a slightly better way like just through genuine understanding of like how how the brain works and all of that and even when I first started the the advice that is it's not even 
obvious that it's advice, is it? It's like this subliminal messaging that's out there that mm. you're kind of expected or told to, without being told, that offer you can offer all these different things. And there's so many different providers out there that will go, oh, let's, you know, you could offer this type of class and you could offer this type of class and you could offer this type of class. And then before you know it, you're in class overwhelm, or certainly what feels like it for me. I'm already overwhelmed from all of those <laughs> things that you used Imagine to me in it. Oh, good. I just, oh, yeah. But it is, isn't it? It, 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 it kind of comes back to that mindset bit of, well, I'm offering all of these things because I don't want to alienate anybody. I need to ensure my income, which I do honestly think that this is what it keeps drawing yeah. back to. I need to be able to offer that for that person because if that doesn't suit that person, then that's money I'm losing. And as much as we've said money is a little bit of a dirty word, ultimately it's, it all comes back to it, doesn't it? Absolutely. And for me it was that. It was A, I don't want to, those clients could go somewhere else. There was that fear of someone else getting the business yeah. and we're you know that thing about the networking and collaboration yeah. that we're hugely advocating for yeah. it's that it's mine I was resource guarding those clients mm -hmm. almost and so that client goes somewhere else I've lost that client and god knows what techniques and methods that other trainer could be doing with that client so that was part of it as well for me it was that I don't know what they're going to be doing with them and then ultimately it was the money like I'm letting that 80, yeah. 60 quid actually when I started, go down the drain. And so I've got to retain it all. I've got to keep them, no matter how, what it takes to keep them. And it's like almost like desperation. Yeah. Like now I look back, I didn't think so at the time. No. It was normal, it's just normal. But it was desperation of keeping all those people. Like I started off with a puppy organisation. That's how I started my dog training journey, which had a lot of good points about it. But Really, what I should have done is just stuck with the puppy and I could have been awesome just at puppies. But you kind of told, not not told, but again, like you say, yeah, it's subliminal messaging. It? Yeah. It's like a cult almost of that kind of, you know, if you get to grips with this, you can then offer this. And when you've got to grips with that, you can offer the next thing and the next thing. And it's like this tree of things that, that come off the back of it. And there was rarely anybody that just stuck with just the puppies. Mm. Being a pro at puppies, oh my God, I could have been the pro at puppies, couldn't I? Yeah. And I didn't. I thought I needed more. And there were plenty of puppies. Like, a lot of people actually, when they start with just puppies, they think, oh, there's never going to be enough like puppies. Oh, there's always enough puppies. There's always enough work to go around. But you kind of think, well, that's not going to be sustainable. So I need to add in adult dogs as well, because the puppies are going to run out, they dry up and I need more stuff. And you don't, actually, you, do, you don't. And, and actually, if I'd have made an awesome, longer programme that covered adolescents and then young adult dogs as well, or those kind of issues, the bumps along the road that you get, how awesome could that have been? Yeah. And I just wasted that whole opportunity and went, oh, it's a six-week course, and now I'll offer this next six-week course. In the meantime, because my follow-on never used to just, it was rare, it would follow straight on. So they would often be, it's like a pyramid, so you get this bottom tier and then it like reduces, the courses reduce, the more you retain somebody, yeah. the less likely they are to stay, well, they do and they don't. So you've got to allow for the fact that you're not going to get all of those puppy people in for the next tier and yeah. then the next tier and the next tier. So you, your hoopers would almost be your niche thing at the top. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so 
I would probably run one every, whereas I would um, start a puppy class every three weeks. I probably wouldn't start a follow on every six weeks to two months. So in that time, you've probably got a month where someone's gone, oh, actually, I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah. So I've lost them anyway, probably in that time. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I, I'm actually lost for words because <laughs> I'm so <laughs> overwhelmed with how much stuff that you are. But it's normal, isn't it? It is yeah. so normal that I'm everybody I'm not alone it. in this. No, you are definitely not alone. Um, and again, it, it is that subliminal message that I never did any of that. I purely focused on one-to-one. On -one. Classes never really floated my boat at, at that time. And it was that offering of, oh, okay, I'll just offer. I think this is quite common in a one-to-one -one setting that you can either offer a consult and then you can offer maybe a two-second, uh, two a two-session two package or three, or, three or maybe five. And that would be absolutely max. Yeah, five would five. be your max. Yeah. And the idea being the more you sell, so if you sold a five-session package, that's heavily discounted as compared to the one-session package. Mm -hmm. And that, that was the route that I went down. And it it worked for all intents and purpose. I, I got clients. I wouldn't say that I delivered my best work. I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it as much. And I definitely didn't feel that stability from replacing what... I mean, I, I was on like a 60K salary with a company car in my corporate job. And everybody laughed at me again, like, I can't believe you're leaving all this to go play with dogs. I was like, yeah. So did you totally leave that before you started, any dog stuff? Or did you do it alongside? I did it a little bit alongside. Okay. Um, so I did some evening and, and weekend stuff. And then, what was my turning point for me? I, I think I did it for about a year or so. And then I always knew I wanted to jack in the, the real job. The real job. <laughs> Air quote, yeah. the real, the real proper job. job. <laughs> um, to go and explore this because I knew that I could get some money coming in. Um, I'd just got married, we'd found out we were pregnant, was really happy about it, and then found out that I'd actually had a miscarriage as well. And that was the turning point for me to go, do you know what, I need to do something different and I'm gonna go and make this playing with dogs the real, the real proper job. And how wrong you were playing with dogs. I know, horrendous, <laughs> horrendous. But you now, here we are, like four years later, like two beautiful little boys. And I definitely don't offer those one-off ad hoc packages now because it still didn't make sense to me. So even though, okay, it's a lot more streamlined than what you were offering. <laughs> that overwhelms me massively. Um, I really started to look at it from the client's perspective and going onto mm. somebody's website for a service. So. If I put myself in, in a client's shoes, they are going to be calling about potentially a struggle that they're already having, or they've got a puppy that they're wanting to perhaps prevent anything from happening. I think it's easy enough to categorise into yeah, those, those two main, those main camps, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, but then to go onto somebody's website, and even if I look at, at yours or, or my old version of it, it's like, well, wh what do I need? And you'd invariably be asked that quite a lot, wouldn't you? Do you know how frustrated I used to get with that question? And I would <laughs> be constantly changing my website, get other people to look at it who weren't in the world I was in, and just go, what the hell? 
why why are people so stupid <laughs> why can't they get it why don't they understand which category they fall into yeah. and maybe i was asking the wrong people because they'd all go well it's totally clear to me i don't know it's the client's fault look so again it's that that blame thing mm -hmm. i totally can relate to because it was always the client's fault yeah it was never my fault hang on a minute surely it's like crystal clear and again looking back it wasn't crystal clear at all yeah. and no matter what I changed, I had separate pages for different things and I had headings that I thought were really like super clear. They obviously weren't. And it was that I have no idea where I should start. And even puppies under 20 weeks, I've got a new puppy. I'm not sure which thing to enrol in. Yeah. And I'd go, why not? It says under 20 weeks. <laughs> but there was something obviously about maybe the messaging in the, the pages or what, I don't know. They couldn't understand it. And so... I never once looked at my, anything I was doing was wrong. It was yeah. they were wrong and they're just stupid and they can't understand. Yeah. You know, yeah. apologies to anyone that's worked with me in the past, but sometimes <laughs> I would, you know, get a bit frustrated with, with, with some people. Um, but yeah, no, I never inwardly looked at it. I was like, no, it's their fault. They're yeah. silly. And it's, it's like you, you offer all this stuff, like I say, even though mine was a lot less, it was still like, well, you could have a consult or you could have two sessions or three sessions or five sessions. And they're like, well, how many sessions do I need? And at the time, again, imposter syndrome would, would flare up and you're like, uh, I don't know. Or you'd be looking at it for the wrong reasons and mm. going, well, obviously the five package yeah. because that's that benefits more, me. That's more money. Yeah. Instead of looking at it from what actually needs to be delivered and what needs to happen. Mm. And uh, I just think it's so difficult when you don't look at yourself as a professional and look at it from the client's point of view. So again, if, if you've got a client looking at your, or a potential client looking at your website, or wherever it is they find out that information, because in all honesty, you don't need a website. No, no, you don't. There's lots of website providers out there screaming at me now, but I, I genuinely don't think you need one. There is enough tools and stuff out there now that you could get by with just having an awesome social media page and maybe even a landing page. Yeah. Which you can get on a CRM get, system. And if I you don't want. even think you'd need it to start with. I yeah, I, I, I built, I got to 86k with a PDF on my phone. That's all. That's all. Yeah. See, I had that mindset of I need a word. So it's the first thing I did was I did it myself. So the cost wasn't huge, but I spent a lot of time mm -hmm. on that. And I did used to get quite a lot of compliments about my website actually, because I'd, I'd made it all look pretty, and you know I'd get people that if I ever spoke to them on the phone, which was quite rare. <laughs> uh, that's another subject, but I um, yeah, I'd get people say, oh, I, I came, I called you up because your website was really good, but then they'd still ask me which one they should go for. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, although it looks good, the information provided was not quite on point. Yeah. Yeah, but it kind of fluffed it over a bit with how nice it looked. Oh, do you know what? I did it as well. So my, so my background was ad agency, and I was an account director. I was able to work in like you know with all these massive brands and all the marketing stuff. And everyone always said to me like, "Oh yeah, you'll be fine because you've got all that knowledge." And like, oh, I didn't do it. I handed it over to a team mm. that did it. But I know what I needed. So when I did leave that job, I'm like right, I need to do this properly. And honestly, I probably invested about 10 grand into getting a website built, getting some adverts up and running, getting a bit of SEO stuff, all the things that, you know, you uh, quote should be doing. Mm. And it, it didn't work. See, that horrifies me. 10 grand to do that. Yeah. And I did mine all for pretty much for free. 
But, yeah. but look how many hours I spent on it. So, yeah. you know, you had all the hours back, but you outlaid that money, which to me then was like an alien concept. Like, yeah, no, I, no I, way. I, I knew how much it costed from being in that world. I didn't enjoy spending it. And then that pressure of like, oh my God, I actually have to make this work yeah. now. And then this is where things just wasn't adding up for me. So I would invest in Google adverts and I would spend, what was the ad spend? The ad spend was probably about £700 a month. Wow. And on it, it scared oh my me gosh. half to death. And you think, and I was only charging, I'm trying to, I know my five package session was about 350 So what was your one session? I, I really can't remember. I think it, it was definitely maybe about like 60 quid. It's right. like nothing yeah. major. In fact, it just wouldn't even pay anything, would it? 60 quid. And... Yeah, so in order to even match and break even on my 700 ad spend, I'd have to sell two in order to get that, okay. in order to break even. So technically I'd be working for free on two clients. So then the pressure was on to try and get more. Did you do any Facebook ads or any other marketing? No. So it was all Google? Yep, just went Google because I knew, knew, air quote, I thought that that was going to be the best one. So I invested heavily into it. But because I didn't have all these other pillars sorted so we've talked about mindset on a previous episode mm -hmm. because that wasn't right this wasn't working and because my package wasn't right this wasn't working because i didn't have my values aligned this wasn't working so from experience i know that the website and the ad spend and all of the fancy marketing stuff should come at the end of this it's not something you should be investing and, in and even away. The big business people you hear these days are still saying that same thing, going, yeah, yeah. don't waste your money on ads. Mm -hmm. There's so much more organic stuff you can do. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the big E people, yep. you know, the really successful business mm -hmm. people are saying that, aren't they? Yep. Honestly, like I say, I got to 86K in less than 12 months by using my phone and a PDF. That was it. And WhatsApp. That, that's it. I did have a website, but nobody was... There, there's no... There's no sales information on my website. No, you couldn't buy anything couldn't off buy your anything. website. Whereas with mine, you could. I, you could click and buy. I did trial that. Mm. I did trial it. So then once the fancy website bit wasn't working, I then... I don't even know why I did this now in hindsight. It's amazing how much you forget, isn't it? <laughs> you start unraveling This is it. bringing it all back yeah. to you. So then it's I moved over to... It's a therapy session in itself, isn't it? Session, yeah. So that web... I don't even remember why. There was something that, that clearly went awry in a relationship, I think. Um, with the agency and myself. And then I created a Wix website. Pretty easy to do, nice and simple. Um, I could dick around with it a hell of a lot. So like one week I'd be like, right, I'm gonna put all my packages on there and I'm gonna put the prices because I'm sick of people ringing me and saying, how much is it? I'm like, look at the fucking website, mm -hmm. it's there. And then I did that and then people had ring me, even with the prices on the website and possibly say things like, oh, that's too expensive. And then I'd go, hmm, okay, I'm gonna take the prices off and let's see if I get some traction now. And I'd be constantly, you could argue it was testing, but I wasn't consciously testing, it was reacting. Reacting to what? Yeah. The feedback you were it getting? It was absolutely reactive to, to whatever was I going did lots on of that, reacting there. to the feedback. Yeah, and, and you should listen to people and you should yeah. take on board what never people react. say, but the big reactions, they never work, do no. they? They're never right for you. It's no. what you, 
it comes down to that, those values. Earlier on, you mm. mentioned about values. And I remember when I first met you, you asked me, what are your values? And I was like, oh, I don't really know what <laughs> my values are. Like, I've never thought about it. And you were like, well, what, what do you really believe in? What do you want to do? And what do you don't want to do? What do you not want to do? So I was just like, and I remember thinking about them for ages, even though when I started, when one came out, I was like, and this, and this, and this, and this, they're all there, mm. but I just hadn't brought them to the forefront of my brain. Yeah. And so once I got those values, you know, it's even things like, as a canine massage therapist, I know you've got, to, <laughs> there's so many considerations with dogs and like young puppy development and things, and you shouldn't have them on slippery floors and you, you, you know, dogs need traction and you, you know, if a dog's got any kind of mobility problem, it's going to feel unstable on a, a floor and it can do so much damage so quickly. What did I do? Run puppy classes in a village hall with the most slippiest floors you can ever have. And I did that yeah. for so many years. And then once I'd got this kind of value in my head, I was like, I, I shouldn't have ever done that. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, I knew that that was wrong. Yeah. And I was watching them going, ah, crashing into each other and playing with each other and going, oh my God, this is so bad. But I never, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't that strong in me. I think it was, but it wasn't like I could be confident in yeah. applying the you don't, value. You just don't know how to implement these things, no. do you? So it was kind of there, but I didn't know how to bring it forward and you enabled me to bring it forward. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting one, isn't it? Because we were talking earlier about what what even the hell do we call ourselves? ourselves. So like when you were saying like, I've brought it out in you, it's like, but what am I? Am I a coach? Are you a mentor? Are you a mentee? Am I? But like, what what is all of these things? Um, so within, within our business, where we are helping other dog professionals elevate their own businesses, we, we still don't know what we're going to call ourselves, but we do have our values and we know that we can implement these, these strategies to be able to help people get to where it is that they want to be going. And ultimately, this is the important thing in your business that you need to be looking at what do you want to be known for, essentially. Yeah. And I think answering that actually unlocks a lot of doors so you know if we go back to those million things that you used to offer oh, I sleepless nights I forgot a big one I still love it how you put your hand up but I, d I do do that don't I? I do that without realizing um biggie yeah what have I missed what the biggest thing that what? I used to do that you did, I'd, you that did, forgot. You did walking in amongst all of yeah. that yeah so that and do you know why I did that so I had a, a full-time job, I started doing just puppy classes and then I got a part-time job to work alongside offering more, because I knew I'd be doing more, and one-to-ones, which was okay. And then I went, do you know what? Well, I had a bit of a restructure at work and I ended up leaving there, but I was like, oh, well that training itself isn't going to be enough, I need a filler. So the filler was dog walking and pet visits. Oh, you can see why people get burnt out, don't you? Yeah. And so not only was I doing all of those other things, which you're like overwhelmed with alone, yeah. I was then doing dog walking for the bulk of my day. So that kind of middle of the day, those who are dog walkers know, middle of the day thing takes that portion of the day out. Yeah. So all your one-to-ones and your classes have to be of an evening and a weekend because there's no other time to do them. Mm -hmm. And the money that I used to get paid for doing really hard yeah. well I, I worked in the beast from the east winter so it was a lot of hard work that winter it's hard anyway it's hard in the winter it's hard in the summer because you've got to consider dogs that are you know overheating and, and the weather so it's it doesn't matter what season you're in for yeah. a dog walker 
It's really, really hard and you're stressing a lot of the time about the dogs themselves and then the, the situation you're in with the seasonality and things. So that was the hardest part really of what I used to, to do and I got paid so little for doing it. And, and again, that's like an industry thing. Mm. Nobody charges much for this because it's seen as a, I don't know why really, because it is a hard job. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's something that people are trusting you with their dogs to take them out and to go into their homes when they're on holiday. Yeah. And yet you're charging a pittance for it. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it, there was that on top of everything else as well. It is, it, it's just so overwhelming from everybody's standpoint, isn't it? So overwhelming for you as the, the business owner, mm -hmm. trying to actually facilitate all of these different things and actually remember what each bloody thing's doing. I can't even remember what you said, so. And I had to take a paper diary then. Oh, oh no, I did have a book. I had a, no, a fair, system like, for the dog walking. Yeah, I, I, I also did have the paper diary. That was a that was a head a head <laughs> game to actually move away from paper diary to digital diary, but definitely worth doing. So if you're still on paper, make the transition. Do it. Do it. It's scary. It's I can really assure you. Scary. But oh my god, like. It, it's just, yeah, it, it changes so much. It, it will revolutionise your life and everything needs to go in it. Yeah, everything. Everything goes in mind now. Um, it's like planning that time out. But yeah, all, all of these things that, that we've done that you, you really have to start almost compartmentalising it to go, right, how does a potential client view your business and how do you view your business? Because if those two things aren't aligned, then it's going to go wonky on the other side. Mm. You'll end up taking on clients that you don't enjoy working with, but that's because you're in it for the wrong reason. Yeah. You're possibly in it for the money, even though we tell ourselves that it's for the dogs, it's for the love of dogs, it's for all of this, and might get some pitchforks coming at us for going oh, at this no route. Yeah. But you can't, it, it's impossible to just do it for the, for the love. You've still got to pay your bills. Yep. Like no one's saying that you need to be a multimillionaire if you don't want to be. That's absolutely fine. But you still need to pay your bills. And you still need to show your family, and if you've got kids, to show them how to make money. To show them how to have a world where you are, you are in control of it and you can create something that is super special for them. It's certainly the lifestyle I want to be giving my kids. Yeah, so I was going to say, that's what you talk about this a lot with your to don't you mm -hmm. that you they're only really young at the moment but that's something that you really want to instill in them from an early age yeah yeah it, it's and the have whole that reason. work ethic but also the balance of the work versus the freedom yeah yeah I just think for me you get you get one life and I think you're we we as a society are so conditioned to go to school possibly university get a job stay in that job or move around jobs until you're at retirement age and then what then then you start living yeah I, it just doesn't make any sense to me and I would rather be able to show my kids and and to be able to help as many people as possible to change that that trajectory and go you're doing something that you love and that is working with dogs or animals whether that's groomers massage therapists walkers trainers behaviorists whatever that or even CPD providers to to a degree if that's your passion, then follow it, but make sure it works for you and your lifestyle and create something that, that is that little bit different and something that you'll be remembered for. Yeah, because it is that, it is that you're, 
if you're the go-to person for that mm-hmm. type of thing, whatever it is you choose, and we, we talk about like the word niche or your what you're best at, but it can be anything, can't it? So it can be, I want to work with a specific type of breed. Mm-hmm. It could be that I want to come at it from a certain approach, or I want to look at it in a slightly different way to what most other people do. It could be that you only offer packages or programmes rather than standalone sessions or traditional group training yeah. classes. So whatever it is, it's good to be different. I mean, I think it's always good to be different. We, yeah, yeah. we always like getting called different, aren't we, in different aspects of life. But I think it should be like that. In, and again, it sort of aligns with your values. Like, I don't like being like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Why would I be like that in my business? Yeah. And yet, for many years, I was. And I was in this box of going, you can't do anything else. That's yeah. what you do. That's yeah. what we're taught to do. Yeah. And everybody comes at it from, OK, slightly vary, varied angles, but pretty much the same, don't they? You do this, or you do this, or you do this. Yeah. We do all of it. Yeah. And, and so that's where I think the public... Because our big thing is that we really want to try and change the public's perception of this industry. Yeah. We talk in industry a lot to other industry professionals, but who, who's actually feeding this information out to the public? And this is where you know we'll, we'll talk about it in future episodes on on the whole point of regulation. But how how is that a worthwhile thing to go and try and get when the public don't even? think about it. Half of these accreditations the public's not aware of. I think in 16 years I've been asked maybe twice what qualifications that I have, where I I started learning. Yep, same here. Ten years, maybe two, three times max. So you go, we spend all that time doing it, all that stress, all that money, and then some of these things aren't cheap, and yet nobody asks you. I, I wouldn't like to say what's the point, but you go, if your energies could be put elsewhere in other areas that might benefit you more Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying not to do these accreditations I'm saying it's not the be all and end all is it but I think we think it is yeah absolutely absolutely and it does it it boils back down to what type of service do we want to be offering we need to start thinking more like business owners whether again it's a hobby bit or not and going, what do they want, what do they need, and what do I want to be able to provide to meet that need? So if you're a groomer, and you know you've got, I don't know, like some of these breeds, they need they need regular grooms, don't they? Yeah, like six, every, every six weeks. Every six also. weeks. So if we put that into an owner's, or caregivers, or whatever terminology we now want to be using, because that's always They're confusing. Lot, yeah, <laughs> lots out there. Um, the human, whatever that human of that, and that dog duo want to be doing, they've essentially got the air quote power or the control. Whereas it should be, well, we know as the professionals that that particular dog needs a groom every six weeks. Let's put a package together for for a, a, every six weeks. Like do do it on a monthly bit where you're getting paid regularly for it. Mm. It's the things that we we talk about in our coaching programs that we need you to be able to manage your money better, understand where the money is coming from, but making sure that it aligns with your values and a service that ultimately benefits the end user and it's clear, oh, I know then that that's that's what I need to do, sign me up because it meets everything that I need. Yeah. Same as if you flip it back to your million offerings that you had. (laughs) 
obviously traumatizes me. Um, from a from a client's perspective, like going onto that website, going right, there's there's about fifteen different things I can do here. I I actually don't know, which Where is why I you're start? getting asked yeah. because it's 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 that overwhelm paralysis, isn't it? It's like I just we think we're doing a really good thing by offering all this choice. Yeah. Whereas we're not. It's and if too much. and if you even think about it from in our world of of CPD providers, again, kind of mainly on the training and behaviour side of it, because I'm not overly aware of all the CPD for walkers and groomers and anything, even if there is one. I don't know about groomers, but no. not really. It's not really going to be much on this. It always no. kind of like fall back into training and behaviour. But, you know, look at Michael Shikashio. What's he known for? Aggression. Aggression. Kim Brophy, Ethology, Let Dogs Be Dogs. A whole multifaceted approach there's to dogs, yeah, genetics and everything. Yeah, is, there's is a part of her. Approach. There's everything. Who um, we've got a spiritual dog person. Yeah, she talks about the spirituality of it. Everybody is known for a certain thing, and I think again we are either subconsciously or subliminally or whatever the wording is, almost telling ourselves this story that you have to be really good at everything. Mm which is where I think this obsession with CPD comes in. It's like, oh, right, I need to know about aggression, or I need to know about this, and I need to know about this, and I need to know about this, I need to know about reactivity, I need to know about separation anxiety. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because you all know who to go to for those things. Yeah. Whereas, put it in another way, where roles are reversed again, so now you are the Chikashios and Brophies and all of that of the world, but from a client's point of view, and then right, I've got a dog with this struggle. Who do I go to? They haven't got a clue. No, because no and we don't make it clear for them either. No, do we? No. So, like for the separation anxiety example, I will deal with it on a low level, mm-hmm. but I I don't I don't really specialise in separation anxiety. But I know somebody does, and I would direct much yeah. prefer to direct them to her because she knows exactly what she's talking about and she does it day in day out i i know some i could get them to a certain level but i don't you know i don't feel confident enough to work them all the way through it no. i probably know more than some but i just feel like my sort of specialism lies in other ways so yeah you know, and that's my personal choice and somebody else might say oh no vicky you're really good at that I'm like, okay well i don't feel like i i either want to do that or i feel like i yeah. can fully yeah. serve that person in that. But how easy would it be for you to go, oh, do you know what, I'm getting quite a few requests mm. now for separation anxiety cases. Funnily enough, I know a separation anxiety person <laughs> because all their marketing is about being a se- um, separation anxiety specialist. Go to them, do their course, now you can offer yes. SA cases. Yes, yeah. And I think that's the trap a lot of us fall yes. into. We go. We feel like it should all be ours again, yep. resource guarding. We've got to do everything. And you end up being that. What, what's that phrase? A jack of all trades and a master, master of none. I think that is very relatable to this industry, yeah. isn't it? And again, come back to the grooming thing. You you kind of go, well, how do you have a niche in grooming? How do you how do you mm. kind of just specialise in one thing? If you were like the go-to person for puppy group pre-puppy, yeah. 
just getting them used to the environment, just mm -hmm. getting them because that's scary enough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, somebody who just goes, we're going to do some pre-sessions, we're going to not do a thing. And I know that there are some groomers that, that offer one or two sessions of that. But imagine that was a whole programme, the pre-bit. Yeah. And then you've got, we do some of the real low-level kind of puppy rooms it's it's very short it's yeah. like 10 minutes 20 minutes at a time and then if you because you might then go well once they're post a puppy what do you do then well you could just then retain that client for life if you chose to and you wanted to yeah. so it's your choice if you want to or if you don't you don't have to yeah. and again I'm not a groomer I've done like a basic grooming course but I'm not a groomer and I'm not in that world as much but pretty much whatever Joe and I say in terms of training because that's our predominantly our background, mine's like canine massage and physio as well, but it doesn't mean it can't be applied to every type of business, you know, in the industry, does yeah, it? No, it's not just not. just for the training yeah. and behaviour. And side. I see a lot of, um, again, whatever you want to call them, mentors, coaches, giving advice to, to walkers saying, you know, if you want to earn more money, then you could do like training walks and do all of that and again like these are absolutely valid options mm. there's, there's nothing wrong with it but if it doesn't align with what you want to do then don't entertain it mm. just just don't do it you can make it work if you get the right support network around you and the right mindset and figure out what type of life you want from it yeah but uh, and, uh, more than that is that public perception, which is why we've got a bigger picture of our goals, haven't we? Because yeah. we can say all this till the cows come home, but if we don't change that public perception yeah. and it carries on in the way it is, how is anything going to change? We're going to be against the grain, against the wave constantly. Yeah. We want them to work with us, don't we? We want yeah. that public totally on board with what we're saying and totally with us and championing us and cheerleading us and going, yes, you do deserve that. You do deserve to work like that. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be interviewing uh, some clients as well, aren't we? Yeah. Um, possibly not even just clients that, that have worked with us, but just general public members to say, what do you actually think of this profession? Because I don't think it's an area that's explored enough to go, no. what, what do the public actually want? No, we're just putting ourselves in it and we're not putting them in it enough, are we? Yeah. And if you want to talk about, like, not being selfish, that is a totally unselfish way of looking at it, isn't it? If you put the public first and what they need and they want. And you know what? These one-session offerings, they don't help the client. No. And I, I don't actually care what problem you've got. Whether it's just recall, one session yeah. is never going to cut it, is it? No. No. So for me, sure. it just doesn't work and it always did because I didn't know anything different and I didn't put myself in that client's position but it doesn't no it, it just can't it can't it absolutely cannot work and yeah so you you have to think of of that client's perception of everything even to the point of if they're on your website and okay maybe they have made a decision because they've managed to filter through all the crap that's on there and go oh all yeah. right all right that's that <laughs> one there maybe not sure. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's the one. I'll need book to it anyway with. and see what happens. Yeah. I used to get that. People who book it be like, oh no, you booked the wrong one. <laughs> painful, painful. Um, but yeah, so it's okay. So then how does that, that then potential client come on board? Like what, what is that process and how many people look at that process? Yeah. Because that's a massive thing as well. And that all forms part of this. I mean, we won't go into it in today's episode, but we 
you have to consider so many different areas and touch points when you're looking at it from a business angle and you don't have to do them all at once I think it's very easy to feel overwhelmed in that so just as much as a client may feel overwhelmed in going on to some of our websites and then going Jesus (laughs) I don't even know what to book I just want to have a conversation with a human being to find out what's what likewise from a, a business angle which is possibly and probably why there is a few more things popping up nowadays with business mentors and coaches and and all of that stuff being offered but it's so easy to feel overwhelmed with everything and you have to just tackle it bit by bit the micro changes you will make will have the biggest impact yeah definitely and it's you know what that human connection is getting more lost isn't it in this digital world and we're not anti-digital at all obviously but we feel like the more that we do these, we surround ourselves with people mm-hmm. that are wanting to make things better for, for other people. The thing that always hones back, isn't it, is that we need that connection back again. And okay, our sessions might be we're working with clients and we've got that connection there, but what about that initial connection? There's like a faceless website that you book through or you have a conversation with somebody and they actually listen to your needs, listen to your pains, mm-hmm. and you can decide in that say discovery call or whatever you want to call it whether that's the right person for you because equally why why are we assuming that every client wants to work with us yep. we might not be right for them mm-hmm. so when it comes to that like it's a two-way thing isn't it yeah yeah absolutely it's not absolutely. always us picking them it's them yep. picking just, us just because they've got a dog with a problem doesn't mean you're kind of naturally qualified yeah. to do it might we might not work well together you just no. you don't know do you so and even people that you know, we speak to every client that works with us, don't we, before they, they do. But even if they don't, they always appreciate that first contact, don't they? They yep. go, do you know what? I've been really struggling to speak to anybody. I've contacted a few and people, A, haven't got back to them, or B, they just, it's a website you click through to book. You can't actually speak to somebody to find yep. out whether you like them and whether they would be right for you. Because it's a huge decision, especially with our programmes. You work with somebody for a long time as well, don't you? So potentially a long time. So it needs to be right from the outset. And you don't want to go from one to another to another, which is what happens commonly, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? People that offer a session or two, they go, oh, actually, it hasn't fixed the problem. We'll find somebody else. It's going to keep flitting. And I've had clients that have ended up working with me that have done that and gone, we wish we'd have worked with you in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it... Yeah, we see that a lot, don't we? Yeah. So what would you say uh, top tips for our listeners are today then, my dear? I think don't be afraid to, I wouldn't say be selfish, but I would say don't be afraid to really think about what you want Mm -hmm. and what you like doing and what you don't like doing. What are the things about what you offer that you really like and maybe you should offer more of that? or make that into something bigger. So any aspect of your business could be that could be applied to, but I just, yeah, I really think it's that, I really love doing that thing, and I really feel that makes a big difference to people, do it. Yeah, I like it. I think my tip would be to relook at your business through a potential client's lens and really see what they might be seeing because I guarantee what you think they're seeing they're probably not yeah 
That's, yeah, it's a good one. To be quite critical. Like, get out of your own ego and go, oh, it's fantastic, it looks pretty. Get out of the way and just really look at it as if you were trying to buy something from you. How easy is it to buy? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, another good one. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed listening to that episode today. Feel free to follow us on all the socials when the link is in the show notes below. Thank you.